We're continuing in our series throughout the Gospel of John, and this morning we come to the uh, subject entitled The Omnipotent Messiah, and how Jesus is the one who came from God's side to uh, demonstrate to us uh, who he is and what he came uh, to do. You can turn in, your, in the scriptures to John chapter 5, and we'll be covering uh, verses 1 to approximately 16, and uh, the, the rest of the uh, chapter will be taken up next week when we'll set the stage for that. If you're looking at the Bibles in front of you, you can turn to page uh, 1653, and we will be reading and referring mostly to the New International Version of the scriptures. One could ask, as we begin our study this morning, where does this sign fit in what the Lord has done so far uh, to lead us to this point? We could also look at it another way. Where does this plan fit in the plan that Jesus had for his three years that he knew he was going to live, approximately three years he knew he was going to live on the earth, uh, uh, and uh, the latter end of his uh, time on the earth? And we might as well begin with the application for us. If you knew you had only three years to live, how would you spend that time? How would you purpose? How would you conceptualize? How would you execute what you have to do in your last three years of life? We're working on the technology here. I'll begin with uh, something that uh, just reverse order until Steve can get us uh, working. I'd like you to listen to the Apostle John for a minute, set the stage for this, for this sign. I had a direct intervention from him uh, to write these words, of course. No laughter. <laughs> After my introduction to summarize the divine claims and character of Jesus, I am sureing you, I'm sure you are wondering which aspects of the life of Jesus I chose to get to the chap- chapter 5, which is before you this and next week. The Baptist, as we called him, was the talk of the town. When we were finished our fishing work for the day, we would try and hear what was being said about him. He was a special man, he lived simply, and many were starting to follow him. It was really something to hear that the priests and Levites had arrived from Jerusalem to question the Baptist on who he was talking about, what was he teaching our people. The Baptist held his own with them, but they weren't buying his message. Then the Pharisees were sent, and he gave them the same message with the same response. Jesus could have started his public work in Jerusalem and picked out some of our nation's spiritual leadership to work with him. But he started in the north and started talking to us. I wonder constantly about how blessed I was, along with the others, to be approached by Jesus to follow him. We were invited to a wedding in Cana and could not believe our eyes as Jesus asked the servants to fill jars with water and we watched him turn it into wine. The master of the ceremony, who did not know what the servants knew, declared it to be the best wine of the day. We knew he had the power of God in him and decided to believe in him more and to follow him as much as we could. Then he brought us to Passover in Jerusalem from Capernaum. We knew the priests would be on him like they were on the Baptist. And as we approached the temple, we could see the indignation in his eyes as he saw what was going on in the temple and drove the businessmen out of there. 
We were expecting an entourage after that one, but we were surprised by the visit at night by the chief rabbi of the Pharisees. Jesus really zeroed in on him, and we realized that he was the one with the authority, and Nicodemus realized it as well. Why go back north through Samaria? We soon learned that his love for people included everyone. And when he took time with a Samaritan woman who had a very difficult life, she believed in him. And her testimony of who he was became the talk of the whole Samarian region. On return to Cana, Jesus was confronted by a royal official whose son was very sick. And to our surprise, Jesus healed him without even seeing the lad over quite a distance. Our Lord's strategy unfolding before us, I summarize like this. He had a determined plan to reach out to everyone he met so that they would come to understand his claim to be the Messiah of the world as God's Son and to understand his claims on their lives. On particular occasions, he would perform a miracle to authenticate his teaching claims, knowing that these amazing works would assist in the spread of the story to, over, to others all over the countryside. And so we turn to uh, the chapter before us. Thank you, Apostle John. We look forward to seeing you one day, brother. So, uh, one comment I need to make is about translations of Scripture, and most of us have the NIV that do not include a part of verse 3 and verse 4. Most Bible translators and scholars look to the most reliable documents for translation as being the earliest ones found. And that accounts for many of the changes in, in the, some of the versions before us and accounts here for the omission of part of verse 3 and, chapter, and verse 4. And we'll refer back to what's in those verses in a few moments. But I'm going to read for now from verses 1 through 9. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. Just give us one moment here, please. I'd like you just to think for a moment about something I've learned in business and gives a context to how this sign might fit. And just bear with me for a moment. This is a slide of a famous guy who started up the Facebook company. And when you look at the formation of a company or the analysis or understanding of a company if you're an employee or a shareholder, within that company there's a, uh, usually someone who founded it and uh, the values of that person uh, are shaped in, within the company. That person had a vision and if you look at... Uh, Mark speaking at one of the annual meetings, he says, give people the power to share and make the world more open and connected and so on. And I'm not going to spend time on his, uh, his world too much, but just to understand how that works. He had, a, he had a vision to share with university 
buddies and so on. You know the story about uh, uh, online being able to share pictures and messages and so on. And he definitely has a strategy and a set of objectives and a set of tactics to, uh, to learn what, what was, uh, um, uh, how he wanted the company to work. I could just use that model a little bit because oftentimes when we're reading and trying to understand the Gospels, we are looking at the tactics, the story, the things that he did. And I'm trying to help us to think a little bit about how did that, what he was doing fit into the bigger picture and story of God's work within the human race. Of course, God himself came to earth in the person of his son, Jesus. He had expressed himself in creation and in the Old Testament covenants and prophecies and scripture, and he wrote his, the nature of what he wanted of man in their very consciences. He had a vision to have and mold the people in relationship to himself. He had a mission to deliver those willing to become holy and his uh, uh, forever into his own hands. His plan was to come to earth to win a people via salvation, He had some objectives to demonstrate who God is, to prepare a leadership to be his who would lead others to himself. And he came to do the salvation work as we were thinking earlier this morning. He had tactics and uh, we're going to see one of those tactics being the sign that is before us uh, this morning. We've already covered the uh, sequence and lead up to this sign. The first part of the uh, John chapter 5 is the situation and we need to carefully observe words that John uses. They're extremely important. The first is that Jesus came uh, on this occasion with his disciples uh, to a feast of the Jews. You can't read these slides and I'll put them out later for you to try and understand them a bit better. But these are, this is a list, list of all of the feasts of the Jews. And it's, we're not told what feast he came to, uh, to this day. It could have been the Passover Uh, It could have been the Feast of Weeks and it could have been the Tabernacles. The three that are isolated there in the Red Arrow are the feast that every male had to visit Jerusalem by in the annual uh, uh, calendar of feasts. Jesus came on the Feast of Tabernacles and I was wondering about why this particular feast, uh, and you can isolate the logic for this in, in separate reading, but it's pretty well believed that he came during the Feast of Tabernacles. And this feast had become part of it, a big part of it was a commemoration of the giving of the laws of Moses to the Old Testament Jews. Jesus, when he came to Jerusalem, was coming to heal a man, but he was also coming to his own, as we read in John chapter 1. He came to his own, and his own received him not. And part of this is the story of how he sought to win the Jewish leaders, the Jewish people to himself and to uh, uh, be his own people. And yet, uh, we see over and over again how they rejected him. Oh, we're going to have to do do without them. I'll just refer... Sit back. The the next part of the observation is the, uh, the situation... of the situation was the Sheep Gate. If you look at the maps of uh, the early uh, Jerusalem, the Sheep Gate was one of those gates that Nehemiah had restored. And uh, it was still in existence during, during, that, during that time. 
And people theorize about why he went to this gate rather than some of the other gates. It's my view after a lot of reading and study that I think he came there because the, the, uh, the, the choice was instructional with respect to the disciples. He wanted them to understand that the one walk, who walked through that gate that day was the one like the sheep who were being brought into the temple as the, as the sacrifices for the sins of the old covenant people. He was the one who was walking through that gate as the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. He was using this as a teaching opportunity to explain to them, I am that one. Later on, he speaks to them about that. Uh, that or earlier on, John the Baptist pointed him out as, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See him and move your attention from me to him. I was only his forerunner, as we've read earlier. Here he pulls his disciples aside and carries them through that gate to gain an appreciation of sacrifice and what the nature of his coming was about as he came to do the work of salvation uh, as, as the Lamb of God. Uh, the, the tactics begin to unfold as we see him later teaching about the gate of the, the, gate of the, uh, of the city, the gate of the temple. And he said to them later on in John chapter 10, I am the way, I am the gate. I am the gate, I am the shepherd, I am the gate, uh, referring back to his entrance into this gate. Uh, I, I think you can uh, surmise with me. Uh, the next aspect of the, uh, of the uh, um, situation was the pool of Bethesda. And by the way, he wants us to understand that when he just talks about the pool and the gate, that they were in existence at the time of his writing. There are many critics of scripture and, and uh, uh, criti- uh, literary criticism people who say that the Gospel of John was written later, so all of this supernatural stuff was added in later. They, they don't find it credible uh, for these kind of reasons. But when you read the, the book carefully, here John is making the note that as I'm writing this book, there is that gate in Jerusalem. There is that pool of Bethesda. And it's a tremendous testimony to the time at which John wrote that gospel, that it was early in that last century, and so his, uh, his teaching is definitely credible and the words, very words of God through him. The pool of Bethesda was unknown to uh, to people for a long time where it was, they began, uh, people began to uh, associate it with other, other of the gates and so on. And I guess we're not going to have much help here. Um, the Bethesda pool was a pool of, of porches around it. It was actually two pools. And it was discovered, uh, I won't go through all of the details of it, but it was discovered later on in in the life of the church, and the, it was found to be very near the current church of St. Anne, this, this uh, pool that was discovered to be the, the very pool that John was referring to and Jesus healed in. And so we have this tremendous affirmation by, by those who would be critics against what we're saying here today, that this is real, this is where he was, this is what he, he did there. We have a series of questions, and I, I do need the slides for my purposes as well here. The first question is, uh, that we could ask about this sign is, why did he select that man? There were a whole group of invalids around the porches. Why did Jesus select this man? And 
it's, it's, we really don't know. We, as Ted said last week, this is God's sovereignty at work, executing his plan the way he wanted. But we do get some hints later on in this story about why he selected this man. In other cases, incidentally, and Ted again talked a great deal about healing before, but in some cases, Jesus healed everyone. They came to him, all the invalid and deaf and blind, and he healed them. In this case, he selects one man out for very particular reasons. And we're surmising a little bit, I hope, but I hope it's helpful to see how God works with people uh, as we look into this story. He, he is sovereign. He doesn't always heal, but he healed this man for a particular purpose. And I believe it's because he is trying to, first of all, show to everyone how he works with every person on the planet. How he approaches them, how he, uh, in very unique ways, gives him the message of who he is and what he has done for them, and he works with them in their situation to draw them to himself. And I hope that you see that story as well. And he takes him through some stages. First of all, he sought him by asking him a question. And some of us, when we hear this question, say, why that question? He interrogated the man. Do you really want to get well? And here we have the beginning of a clue that, yes, there's a whole part of the story about someone who is an invalid all his life. Does he really want to change his life and get better? Jesus, he was drawing him spiritually in a, in a way uh, through this initial interrogation. He says, do you want to get well? Do you want to get better? And that's a question he directs to every person when they discover through, his, uh, through their exposure to the gospel that they are sinners, they need to be saved. There is the question, do you really want to change? Do you really want a change in your life to walk with me, to be mine, and to commit your life in service to me? That's the beginning phase of how, we re- how he calls us and whether or not we're going to respond to that and say, yes, Lord, I know where I am. I've been here for 38 years living a life of dependency. I'm an invalid. I can't get into the pool. But now I see you're the first one who's asked the question to me, do you want to get better? And he answered and said, yes, I want to get better. So there's the first stage, the inter interrogation of Christ in his life. We, we talked a little bit at communion service ago about how many people God approaches to win them to himself. And the hypothesis of the scriptures and my experience is that wherever I've gone, people have been approached by God in one way or another. 110 billion people in the, plan, in the planet who've lived here and who about seven of them living here today have been approached by God to know him through their conscience, through creation, through the gospel, through their own seeking. God displays himself to each and every individual uh, in one way or another. Partly buried in the story, too, is that your response to his approach to you matters so much. He doesn't invade your life. He doesn't force you to do anything. He, ha- you, he has given you a decision to make, and it's extremely important to how people respond to his call to you in your life. He calls you in his own specific way. In this case, it was the, in the context of a man who needed physical healing. But his real message to this man as well was, 
I want you to answer that question genuinely in your heart to have faith that I can heal you. And he knew, looking up into the eyes of Jesus, that this man could heal him. And you know, when we look at his testimony later on, he says a very important thing. Jesus healed me, and then he commanded me to take my mat up and walk. That's my reading of the text. You may take a look at it and see if you agree. But he, he healed him first. Jesus, when he came, did the work of salvation on the cross. He has paid the penalty for sin. He's dealt with that matter before God. Now he offers to each of us, as he seeks us, a response to him to accept him as Savior and as Lord. Not so fast here. This, this fellow still had to listen to the Lord, and the Lord issued to him a very strange command. He said, get up. He didn't tell him to get up and go into the water. He says, get up, walk. The evidence of the healing of Christ in his life was, do these two simple things and you will know that I was the one who healed you. It wasn't magic water bubbling away in the corner. It wasn't an angel painted on the wall of the porticos. It was I am the omnipotent one. I don't know if you've been to David Hook at all. But uh, if you go to him and his surgeon pal with their instruments of healing, you've been laid up, for, this is the example, you've been laid up for three or four months in a wheelchair, you can't, haven't walked for a very long time. And in modern medicine, you go to them and uh, they uh, take out their stuff and Dave ex- helps you escape from the reality of it all. I'm having fun here. The surgeon, surgeon goes and does his uh, re- replacement of the, of the replacement part to, for the mechanics amongst us. And then he, they say, okay, go on home. And you say, okay, <laughs> I haven't walked for a long time. Can you walk instantly after they have their healing on you? How long does it take? Dave? Three, four months? Justin, how long does it take? <laughs> so... In the Gospels, what does John record? At once, he took up, and we won't light it away, his, his mat and walked. Trust me, he did. Could he trust Jesus to make his life better? Yes, he could. Jesus could, and he did. But he's not done with him yet. He gets up and he walks, and uh, then the scripture records that he was healed on the Sabbath. So here comes the other plot that is going on. And here's how Jesus deals with a brand new person of faith. It's up to God to know when he was actually saved. But he, he was working with this person of faith. He heals him, Jesus disappears into the crowd. And he leaves this guy on his own. We can feel that sometimes, can't we? Then what does he do next? He the man is confronted by these guys, the suits from the head office, to realize that he had done something against the law. In the Old Testament law, there was indeed a law about, from keep, about keeping the Sabbath. And indeed, there was, in Old Testament scriptures, elaborations of what this, what this meant. They couldn't... And, and really, it was about, to make a long story short, it was about... 
in the Old Testament by God a commandment not to do market work, not to do uh, commercial work, but to lay those things aside for the Sabbath so that you can spend time in my presence wholly devoted to me. The traditions of Judaism, of course, superimposed a very large burden over top of that, and it included not being able to carry any load, including starting up an elevator today is what they practiced, doing, doing things like carrying a, carrying a load from A to B and so on. That was not the intention of the law, but that was what these Jewish people were under in their, in their role as leaders of Israel. And notice what they omitted. They had no words for the healing of this man. They knew who healed him, I believe. But they had no words for healing. The evidence was staring them in the face about who it was who healed them and the nature of the power that was used to heal him. And they just accused him of a trivial violation of the law moving his bed. Can we believe that? We can be real hard on those people, but rest assured that we can be very legalistic and rules and oriented in our lives. And in some cases, we miss the Lord. We miss his what he's trying to do in our lives. And he, we miss what, what uh, he, he wants us to do for him and to be for him. When you look at, it, look at what goes on next, Jesus continues to work with him for another stage of his faith journey. How does he answer them? He said, it, in my words, it was the word of the Lord. I can defend this because he healed me. You guys are ignoring that, but he healed me and he told me to pick pick up my mat and walk. He recognized that before him was the omnipotent Son of God who had the power not only to heal, but the power to order his life in a way that it was to be ordered and please him. The Jews asked him who healed him and they were... They were looking for evidence to bring against Jesus when they saw him in the temple. They knew, of course, he was there. They were looking for the evidence to bring not only this man to the courts, but Jesus to the courts. And here's the next test of this man's faith. What's the next stage in in his faith? He finds out who healed him. What does he do with that information? He goes back and tells the Jews, I didn't know his name. But now I know his name. The one who healed me, the one who told me to walk, is Jesus. There's his testimony. There's God drawing him along in his faith to trust him each step. And now to the, to the level that he gave him the courage to go up to the leaders of the land. He didn't know much about all that. I, I guess maybe he knew a lot because of his position on the street but he had been given the courage by God to testify about what Jesus did in his life. He changed me absolutely. He healed me as the omnipotent healer. He knew my heart. He was also omniscient. And he gave me a new start in life, and I'm telling you about it. That's what Jesus wants of us in our lives as Christians. How were you healed? How were you saved? How did God seek you, find you, be found by you and how did he invest you into his life he wants us to do that the one who transformed the water into wine he is the healer the savior the one who wants you to testify for him with the courage 
that this healed man had. We don't have time to do the whole chapter, but next week I toss the ball over to Steve. No, two. Who's next week? Carrie, yes, yes, Carrie was the one I had this discussion with. Tossed it over to Carrie. Sorry for the shock, Steve. (laughs) Next week, Jesus himself has to confront the Jews. And remembering as we start that and read it ahead of time, he came to his own. He came to everyone. He loved the whole world. He He went to Samaria. He went to every person he met to draw them to himself. And that was the nature of his work. His vision was to win a people to himself. And he does that individually as he seeks each one in his own unique way. He wants us to respond to that call of himself to himself. And he wants us to testify to it of how he worked with you. I guess that's what stress does to you. We just marvel at who you are. We thank you for your love. Thank you for sending your son again to this earth for us. Indeed, Lord, I pray that all would be able to say that we are yours and that you are ours. We just pray that you'd be with us and guide us as we go this day. Help us, Father, to glorify you. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.